0: Welcome back, and guys, to another episode of the Advisor Odyssey podcast. Now, happy January. We're coming at you in the brand new year. And what better episode to hit you with at the very beginning of the year than how to run a better discovery meeting, or we call it a fact-finder meeting, a first appointment. Anyways, we've got five key areas of this meeting, some easy ways to maximize and enhance that first meeting, and then some little tips and tricks along the way that, Again, some lesser known perhaps. So stay tuned guys, we've got a great episode coming your way.
1: This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives
0: around what it takes to launch, succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business. Now look, when it comes to the first appointment, okay, again, for some, they call that the discovery meeting, it's the fact-finding meeting, it's the get-to-know-you meeting. Whatever it is, there's really five things that you as the advisor or the, uh, you know, the financial professional, there's really five things you're looking to accomplish, looking to learn within that meeting. And now there is an order to these, okay? There's a chronological order here. But jumping into it, the very first thing you're going to want to gain from this meeting, the goal of it, Is really just to set the expectations with the prospect. Now, setting expectations might, you know, for some that might seem like it's a little ahead of, you know, putting the cart before the horse in a way, but ultimately, they really, like the prospects that you're meeting with, they really need to know like exactly how that first appointment is supposed to go. This is where you have the biggest fall off. It's that they set the appointment, but they never show up to the first appointment phase. That's standard practice. Now, the advisors that do, uh, like they have a high first appointment show rate, it's widely, it's widely because they are very clear on the expectations that they are sharing with the prospect of what exactly to expect. Like you have to think these prospects, the mentality for them that they're going to, you know, typically experience is when they show up to a first appointment anywhere, you know, outside of the medical field when you show up to that first appointment to any sort of salesperson or perceived salesperson, you're like, you're, you're on edge, right? You've got your, your guard up, you've got your barriers up. So hopefully before that first appointment has ever even occurred, you've had the opportunity to lay out like clearly expectations of what to expect. If it's written down by the way, like something, whether it's paper or it's something you can send them in the mail prior to, it's only going to increase your first appointment show rate. Now, this, uh, well, again, I'll just call it the what to expect document. This is a standard touchpoint in the sales process as well. So as you continually build out your sales process for some of the stuff we talk about today, this very specifically is the greatest like, uh, opportunity for improvement if you're not already doing it. So keep in mind when the prospects, they're meeting with you they're really doing this to discuss like three main topics or three main points of interest. Now, your job is to take these exact three, but you have to frame it in the way that they, again, we can say that they feel valued or that they feel like you're different from the rest. Like, we'll get into this as we go along. But these three main topics are basically, number one, where they're at now. Number two, where they want to go. And then number three, if it makes sense to continue discussion and and meet for a second time. Like, that's it. Those are the three main topics that you wanna like dig into in this first meeting. So there should never be any uh, like them versus us language. So for example, uh, you know, your advisor charges this, I charge this, or your advisor does this, my team does this, or you invest this way, we invest this way you don't want to have any of that conflicting language because that is very siloing language to where you're 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 rarely going to gain someone by making those comments you'll likely just lose them okay now another big piece of this like uh, of the uh setting expectations phase and the goal is that you need to make it clear to them who your ideal client is and this isn't by the way this isn't just from a financial sense this is actually more so who your ideal client is as a person okay? like clarify with them that your goal is to be valuable today like completely regardless of whether or not they fit your target clientele like their your model or not now moving into step two okay this is our this is our five of our five things to accomplish this is number two here number two is get them to relax You've got to break through the trust wall as early as possible, right? This is that barrier, that guard that I said that they're going to have up just naturally. Again, we're wired that way. If you were meeting with someone, you would have that too. It just It's impossible to truly avoid, but the best are the ones who get over that and break through it as quick as possible. Now, one of the best ways that I've seen advisors break through that wall like really, really quickly is, uh, and, and there's a multitude of ways to do it. But it usually starts with the like the conversation of what our goal is today. But ultimately it's I'm going to be honest with you throughout the course of our meeting today. Some of the things I say will be really good news for you. Some will be, you know, maybe perhaps bad news for you. And some will be probably nothing that you've expected to hear whether it's good or bad. So the best you can do is be honest with them and ask them like up front ask them if they are comfortable with being honest with you. So this meeting is as beneficial and valuable as possible for both of you. If they hesitate, if they balk at that, I'd recommend you just leave the appointment there. Let them know that trust, honesty, integrity is is a forefront before you ever even consider engaging in a relationship with any of your clients. If they can't give you trust or honesty in the beginning, just in conversation, then it's not going to be fit anyways. So, that's, uh, again, break through the trust wall. Another good way to get them to relax is to use analogies to explain what you're saying and what you're doing as much as you possibly can without, you know, going way overboard. But analogies are an incredible way of making complex topics or perhaps making different kinds of thought, you know, I guess you call it thought scenarios, making them easier to understand. And in, in the financial planning world, Analogies that involve doctors, for example, or home improvement are very common. They're very easy. And many, many people understand them when you use them the proper way. So some examples of these analogies that you can start to weave in and use in your process. You've got, you know, doctors versus dentists. You've got one expertise versus another. So imagine that as like the advisors versus the CPAs. Okay, this is the one person is focused on financial planning. One person's focused specifically on tax management or tax accounting, etc. Another one is doctors versus cardiologists, one expertise versus a specialist. So this is like an income distribution focused advisor versus a wealth accumulation focused advisor. You've got your plumbers versus electricians. Again, one expertise versus another, A financial advisor versus a long-term care specialist. And then you've got plumbers versus contractors, which this is one of my personal favorite analogies to use, by the way. So many times you'll come across someone who, uh, like you're meeting with a client or a prospect, and they'll say, you know, I work with so and so, but when you actually figure out who that person is or what their value prop is, you realize that they don't actually do anything themselves, at least outside of maybe just one thing. But they have this network of people that they just refer it out to, and so they they hold the you know the assets or hold the money or hold the responsibilities. It's that person who always has the CPA, the estate planner, the uh, you know the attorney. They've got all these people just basically in their back pocket to use whenever, and they frame it as their personal value prop for their business, even though you could go and use them even if you weren't working with them. So, um, these analogies are an incredible way to paint that picture and make it really clearly understandable for your prospect during that first appointment. Now, if you've explained who your ideal client is clearly enough, okay and this goes back to the, uh, like the very first thing you wanna do of setting expectations. If you've explained who your ideal client is clearly enough to them, They should have already decided in their own minds whether they fit your target mold or not. Now, this might seem counterintuitive, right? But when you continually focus on being a value during that first appointment, okay, when only like the only thing you want to do is be a value, this will further open the door for you to ask the more financially intimate questions. So what you'll have happen is these, you know, first time prospects after you've told them who your ideal client is. And for example, that's, you know, I tend to work best with, you know, this person who's this way and this way and this way. That's already going to be a a filtering mechanism. Call it. You'll have some people just kind of check out early and you can end the appointment early and save some of your time. Or you are going to realize that you'll have people who will say to themselves, okay, yes, I'm in that camp. And they might not tell you that, but they're going to feel that way. So they're going to naturally take a step forward in the trust like uh, the trust wall, that trust building conversation. And so when you begin that way, then when you consistently add value, no matter what, we'll talk about the value prop in a second here. When you consistently do that, you will naturally open the door to like, again, this is like an emotional door to ask the more financially intimate questions. This is where prospects close up. They don't want to answer them. And then advisors get frustrated because they can't like, if you leave an appointment and you talk to someone for an hour call it, and you don't know like how much is in their 401k for example or how much they've got in a bank account, it's really not a winning conversation for anyone. It was just a waste of time. So, that's frustrating and the best way to overcome that is to lead with value, talk about cultural values and then follow it up with the financially related questions. Just above all else, be authentic. Remember that. Always be authentic. What's up guys? If you're enjoying all this great content, be sure to check out our other content platforms for more and different types of content all around ways that you can become a better advisor. Things like marketing, sales process, development, client experience. Maybe it's managing your team and your advisors better lead like whatever it is. Be sure to check out our social media profiles. You can find us at Advisor Odyssey across most every single platform that you're likely using. If you're looking for some more in-depth, written-out articles and blog posts, you can find that both on Medium by searching, again, at Advisor Odyssey, and then also on LinkedIn on my personal page, Daniel Hotajak. It's on these social media platforms where you can send in your questions, your feedback, your thoughts, and then I will then take that, formulate it, and I will try to create, maybe it's an entire podcast episode, or another post that's specifically designed to help you answer the question that you are sending in. And again, that can be a direct message, it can be an email, whatever it is, feel free, ask the question, I'll give you my best insight, and then hopefully it can make a huge difference in your business. Anyways, guys, let's get back to the episode. All right, our third thing we want to accomplish, uh, number three of five, Is simply to reveal your value excessively okay give relentlessly every honest piece of advice or feedback you give them just builds rapport trust and credibility like don't I've had this conversation with many advisors before and overwhelmingly advisors are worried they're concerned they're terrified of providing advice freely now, I say advice to be clear, it's not like investment advice, but these are things like, you know, s- answering standard questions, answering simple questions, like because they're afraid that if they answer it, they'll never meet with the prospect. But at the end of the day, if a prospect asks you a standardized question and you try to set them up for an appointment to answer that standardized question, it's still even going to be a losing scenario for you because that question that they wanted to the help with, you don't know enough about them to know that even, you even should be meeting with them. Like it's, it's, it's this like a, this boomerang game where no one knows where exactly the boomerang should end up. Like just answer the questions. And if you overwhelm with the value, then it's going to be an easy, easy conversation moving forward. And you know that you've given enough value if you're the obvious choice to work with. This is the other side of the coin. If by the end of that first appointment, the prospect is unsure of your true value proposition, like why they should work with you, then you've messed up majorly. They should know by the time that appointment ends, even in the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes, they should know both from a personal sense and a professional sense, as in the way that you conduct yourself, the questions you ask, how you get to know them, but also on the, how your office is laid out, how your team reacts, how you hold yourself, carry yourself, and then the knowledge you just seem to possess about the financial world. like. That's very easily evident for many, many people who have met with advisors before who are currently working with one. Another like big tip with that, I should say, the smaller things that you like, the smaller the things are that you notice are what awards you the most brownie points. Okay. So to be clear on that, let's say that when you're you know, reviewing their statements, their portfolio, whatever it is, right? And this would come probably more towards like the second half, like during the second meeting. So this would be more so to increase your third appointment uh, show rate. But the smaller the things are that you notice, the better it's gonna be for you when it comes to asking them the hard questions of, you need to break up with your current advisor. So saying things, and, and this is, again, these are common conversations that I have with advisors a lot. Sure, advisors might say something like, "You know, your your investment portfolio is yielding on average about two percent. The ones that I build for my clients average about four percent, right?" That's, I mean, that that's a big statement, and obviously, the more money it is, the the more money that actually means, like in terms that they make or whatever. But anyone can really say that, like that's that's a that's a promise, right? And you might be able to back it up saying, "Here's you know, here's my results," but ultimately, you don't want to do that because again, that's now you're being product focused. So or investment focused. But noticing things like, for example, the bank account, as you're talking through things and going through fact finders, you, you notice that one of the bank account statements that they shared with you, or that they told you about, you notice that it wasn't jointly owned, but they kept referring to it as, this is our bank account. Noticing that is a big deal to them, could be a big deal to them. Another thing might be, if you notice that they're not maximizing their annual giving, but they talk a lot about how much they, they, they give and they love to give to charity or donate or tithe, whatever it is, you realize that they're not maximizing it, so they're not really reaping as much of the benefits as they can, but yet they're sitting on other piles of cash investments that they say they just don't know what to do with. Okay, noticing that's a big deal to them, perhaps. And then something as simple as, ma- like, that they're not maximizing their social security. One of the easiest wedges that I've ever, like, consistently see with advisors is they notice that when clients like when they bring in statements uh you know all of that stuff they realize and they recognize that the clients are not set up to maximize their social security and that conversation if you can like really simply share with them like you know hey john hey susie you're if if you maintain this plan by the way you're not going to be maximizing your social security like you can earn an additional Six grand, you know, I'm making this up like six grand a year just by waiting an extra month or two like those kind of conversations, right? Like they're not always going to fit, but at the end of the day, those conversations can win you clients more. So than again, my investment yields this or my average portfolio does this. And then lastly, on the topic of the like revealing your value relentlessly. Remember that process-driven advisors earn more clients than product or investment-driven advisors. If you're process-driven as opposed to solution-driven, you're going to win more clients. Now again, as I said, going back to the very first thing here that uh, we want to accomplish in the meeting about setting expectations and getting them to relax as well. These prospects are on edge from the minute they sit down. And you're trying to overcome that the entire first appointment. That's, that's really the majority of your goals. But telling them a solution, like this is what they're used to. They're used to advisors and other people telling them about solutions that are apparently better for them, whether they knew about them or not. And when you break that mold and you don't do that right away, you're, you're going to stand out pretty quickly. You're going to stand out. Lead with your process and sprinkle in the value here and there. But again, be process driven. Now, the fourth goal of our discovery meeting is we want to uncover their potential financial problems. And I really want to emphasize the word potential. The truth is, you have to understand that whether you feel this way or not, they will not believe you when you say these things. You have to understand that you do not know what the best thing is for them yet. And so while one side of the coin is saying, I think that this could be better for you, the other side of that coin is saying, I don't think this is good for you. And whether this is person is working with a like another advisor or maybe they uh, they're, they're doing it all themselves or DIY, when you make that statement, it doesn't lift them up. It actually tears them down a little bit because you're either insulting, and insulting might be strong word worth but you're either downplaying or insulting them, like the DIY side, because they set it everything up and they did it all themselves, or you're insulting who they currently work with, which in most cases they chose to work with that person and they didn't make that decision quickly and foolishly. They had to have thought it through. So you're just insulting their opinion on it. So again, I emphasize the word potential there, but when you find a potential problem in their portfolio, point it out, and then follow up with a non-targeted or non-aggressive question. If your question seems aggressive, it's better to just never ask it at all. Now, what do I mean by an aggressive or targeted question? Here's an example. Sally, your life insurance policy stops coverage in three years when you turn 72. Why did you set it up this way? Or why is it set up this way? That's little targeted right now they're on their heels having to answer why they did something that's supposedly wrong but the better way to ask that question and again words matter these little changes matter sally your life insurance policy stops coverage in three years when you turn 72 is there a secondary policy that's not here that we haven't talked about yet that's set up to cover you next again they might say no you say okay we'll be sure to discuss that (laughs) or they might say actually yes sorry i forgot to bring that or yes here's this Great, you just continue dialogue around that. Another example is, John, it appears that you've been withdrawing about 5% out of your account for the last six years to fund your retirement. Do you know what happens if the market falls, like 5%, 10%? What that'll do to your income? Again, that's a question of, do you know what happens when reality hits? Or do you know what happens when XYZ circumstance hits? And that's, that's kind of like a survivalized question. So the better way to ask that, John, it appears that you've been withdrawing about 5% out of your account for the last 6 years. If the market drops by greater than 5%, does your withdrawal amount decrease as well or no? Again, it's an, it's much more comfortable question that can create further dialogue. Again, these questions matter. Now, another piece here about uncovering that like the potential problems are be honest about what's a major problem. And what's really just more of a minor problem or something to be aware of as like an FYI. I see this a lot, like advisors think they need to stack the deck against their current plan or against the other advisor. And the truth is you just don't like there might be some major, like major issues, but there's also just as likely to be some minor things like the example I said earlier about the bank account piece or the, uh, the life insurance coverage, like, yeah, they have an impact, but if everything is just of the utmost importance to address because it's gonna ruin their financial future because they've overlooked it for too long, you just, it feels like scare tactic. Like they're gonna pick up on that, most will pick up on that. So just be honest about what's the major problem and what's not. And these, uh, like these, you know, quote unquote major problems we'll call it, these also act as a, uh, like a framework or an anchoring for what could happen moving forward. So when you narrow it down, and this is my advice to you, is narrow it down to a big three and present it in the framework of uh, the is-does-means test, if you're familiar with that. So by the end of that first appointment, for the last 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, the big three things that you should be digging into, and I say digging, to be clear. By digging, I mean the three things that you're going to lay out to them as potential pitfalls that you see that you want to make sure to address next time should they want to come in and meet with you. And again, break it down, what it is, what it does, what it means. These big three will always serve as your anchors for every meeting. And then also after they become a client, it's going to be the first three things you do, or should be theoretically the first three things you do. If you haven't yet checked out the article that I wrote entitled where you're losing prospects and how to stop it, I would highly encourage you to read it. It's all about where you are losing prospects throughout your sales funnel. Now, whether you are doing a lot of seminar and workshop marketing, maybe you're all digital, maybe you're just, all you do is referrals. That's how you brand and market your firm and how you obtain new clients. doesn't matter. You're going to be losing prospects throughout your sales funnel. It might be one out of every hundred or it might be 50 out of every 100 or more. So I encourage you, read the article. It's going to break down all the steps in the sales process and even on the marketing process on the front end. It's going to give you actionable advice on how to improve each of those areas. Should you be suffering that area? Also, some common mistakes to avoid in each area too. Number five, the last thing on our list of things we want to accomplish during that first meeting is to get their commitment for a second, or in this case, a third meeting, or next meeting, whatever it is, get the commitment. In most cases, this will just be for the second meeting. Now, remember remember that the decision to work with you or not is entirely up to them, entirely. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. We all heard that saying. Ultimately, even if you feel like you, re- you had an amazing appointment, even if they were everything was green light signs, they're the ones who make the final decision at the end of the day. And so throughout this entire process, like just give everything you got, obviously, but share good news with them about them. That's another tip to that. Share good news with them about them. It doesn't matter how dire the situation they may be in. You might look at their their statements or portfolios, whatever, and it could be a total crapshoot. But if there is one silver lining, even just one thing, make sure you highlight it and congratulate them. And, you know, whether even if it's to show appreciation towards their other advisor, that's okay. Again, honesty, transparency, authenticism, like let them know what's in good shape is there's going to be at least one piece of good news in there somewhere. And then another, like, big piece to this whole, like, getting the commitment stage, make it very clear that if they decide to work with you, you're going to have those solutions to the big three ready to address during the second appointment or third appointment, depending on your sales process. If you tend to drag out that first appointment, they should know where they're going next. If they don't know where they're going next, they're not going to make an educated decision, whether that's to work with you or not. Confused people make bad decisions. They should know exactly what's expected to happen next. And so then their choice is very simply, do I meet with you, the advisor, for a second time to talk further about how we're specifically going to or how you would specifically address these big three issues or would I rather not meet with you to address these big three issues and discuss how you might fix them, and instead I'm just aware of them now? This is the most, most critical way to end your appointments. When they know exactly what to expect and where they're going next, you're going to naturally earn more clientele, or at least it's going to start with earning more second and third appointments. I can promise you that. Now, in closing, guys, to wrap this up, your first appointment, like that discovery meeting is obviously very critical. It's the number one KPI you should be chasing in your business. How many first appointments did you generate? Now, every first appointment, you might have your own individual or personal goals. That's part of your process, and I respect that if you've got your own your own uniqueness to you and how you run these. But at its core, I do believe that there is five things every advisor should want to accomplish during that first appointment. And again, that is setting expectations, getting the prospect or prospects to relax, reveal your value to them relentlessly, uncover their potential financial problems, and then just get the commitment for a next meeting. Those are the five things. Those are entirely the five things. Now, one last last tidbit here. If you do charge like an initial planning fee, Mention that and be like really, really clear with, uh, like what it is, why you do it and what's in it for them. It's kind of that is, does means test again, be prepared for objections. And, uh, the, you know, let me think about, it or let me sleep on it kind of stuff. It would be wise for you to have a one page document that backs up your request. Like again, when I say one page document that backs it up, I mean, give them a piece of paper, like a nice piece of paper. That specifically says with this, you know, planning fee that's non-refundable upfront that you charge, they will leave the second appointment with A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. Whether they become a client or not, they will leave with it, okay? This is like so, so critical. And the reason why I also say process-driven advisors will win more than the investment or product forward advisors is because even if you charge that planning fee and you lay out what that plan will look like should they implement it with you, You're not getting into the weeds of what the actual investments are or the vehicles are. Instead, you're talking about what it is from a, like a high level view, what its purpose is and why you're doing it, what it is, what it does and what it means. That's all guys. That's how you win and how you improve your discovery meeting. First appointment with prospects. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your
1: favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas and not to be depicted as tax, legal or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.